I think this uh, week is a very special, very holy week, and that's that, how it's known. So it's also a very hallowed week, I think, uh, that we should be uh, filled with reverence and awe as we remember what took place during this last week. We know that the Scripture tells us that Jesus steadfastly set his face to Jerusalem, knowing what was ahead of him, and knowing that he would face uh, everything that, he, the, that the Scriptures tell us that he would face. And so when we come to look today as we focus upon the cross, and, and, the, and the sermon title might throw you off a little bit, the, the cross of Easter, you might think, well, we, we celebrate Easter with the empty tomb. And that's true. But before we can get to the empty tomb, we always have to pass by the cross. The cross always has to be there. Uh, is it possible to celebrate the resurrection of Christ without focusing upon his crucifixion? And the answer to that is absolutely no. And the road to the empty tomb will forever pass by the cross of Calvary. Uh, And the one who was raised from the dead is none other than the crucified Christ. And Easter without a cross is a hoax. And so our worship and celebration today uh, focuses on the cross of Jesus and his death for our sins. When we uh, focus on the scripture today from Luke and then from 1 Corinthians, we've got to remember that when we come into this passage in Luke, as let's pick up that portion of the crucifixion scene. Uh, Jesus has already gone through that night with his disciples when he instituted the Lord's Supper. He washed their feet. He, he, he predicted that he would be betrayed and that Peter would deny him. Uh, and then he went out into the garden to pray, and then those things came to pass. Judas had betrayed him. Later on, during the trumped-up charges in a kangaroo court, we know that Peter denied knowing him. And then we know that the, the crowd all crucified to crucify this Jesus Christ. And so he was beaten, given over to the soldiers. They beat him and they mocked him. And then they led him out to nail him to the cross. And we pick up that in Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, beginning in verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? Now we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this saw what took place, 
They beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Well, as we read and as we hear these words, uh, we should be moved with a, with a wonderful response of awe. And this is Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ that they're treating this way and who is being crucified by being nailed to this rugged cross. And we might even think that today as we celebrate this, that this might be redundant to focus upon the cross because we might think, well, everybody knows that story and it's not true. You know, everything that I read about our state and even our nation tells us that we are 65% lost in this, country, in, this, in this state of South Carolina and that our nation is now behind India and China. We're the third largest lost country and greatest mission field in the world. And so we always need to proclaim the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the very heart of the gospel of changing lives. And then you might need to think about the cross again as to how much you see it displayed. Uh, It's it's interesting to me as I watch these basketball games during this season, during March Madness, how many of these players have a cross somewhere tattooed upon them. And I always wonder, do they really know the significance of it? I think some of them do, and they've even got scripture to go with it. But all of that might lead you to think, well, the cross is a, a universally recognized symbol of Christianity and of the death of Jesus Christ, but research indicates otherwise. Research International in six countries found that the Shell Oil logo, the Mercedes-Benz emblem, and the five Olympic rings were recognized far more widely than the Christian cross. Uh, McDonald's golden arches and the Shell's glowing yellow sign were recognized by 84% of the world, while only 54% could identify the cross being the symbol of Christianity and the cross of Jesus. So with good reason we come today to focus upon the cross event and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. We focus on this as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we also want to hear the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 as he talks about how God used the cross to bring us salvation and what it still means for us today. The Apostle Paul wrote these words, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miracles, signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. You see, for those of us of the Christian faith, the cross is both at the same time a a symbol of horror and also a symbol of hope. 
We look at the cross and we should be reminded of the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ died an excruciatingly painful and shameful death on the cross. And so how do we come to understand then this cross of Easter that prepares us to celebrate the Lord's Supper and to remember the sacrifice of Christ and what it really means for us and how we enter into a relationship with God through the cross and the Christ of the cross? Well, we focus upon the cross of Easter and here's what it means. First of all, uh, this cross is shame that is turned into glory. It's shame that's turned into glory. Of all the forms of death, that were conceivable at that time and probably at any other time in history. Crucifixion has been most feared of all deaths. Death on the cross was saved for the worst of criminals. And death on the cross constituted the greatest shame, humiliation, and disgrace, especially among the Jewish nation. And our Lord Jesus took the shame and humiliation of the cross and he turned it into an instrument to glorify God. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that during this time that he also, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our early Christians had to do the very same thing. They glorified in the cross of Christ. Because the cross of Jesus is shame that's turned to glory. If you're a sports nut, a basketball fan, you probably are caught up in all the, the NCAA basketball tournaments in March Madness, both in the, in the men's and the women's category. And they're ultimately willing down a team of field of 64 or so down to the final four by this weekend. And then they will play in the coming week to determine the national champion. I always think about John Wooden the legendary uh, basketball coach at UCLA who at one period of time, I think, won 10 consecutive national championships. And he always kept a cross in his pocket. And he did so to remind him that there was something far more important than basketball. That's what the cross does for us. It reminds us that there's something far more important in life than anything else. And that Jesus died and rose again. And he turned the shame of the cross into glory. We also look at that cross and we see that the cross is God's demonstration of both love and sacrifice. When God gave his son, it was not with any expectations that he might escape the cross. See, Calvary was never meant to be an option for Jesus Christ. There was no other hope of saving mankind, and that includes you and me, but through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. In Revelation, John describes Jesus as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And the cross always stands as a testimony to the love of God. And any time that we look upon that cross, we should be able to think of at least two passages of Scripture. One is John 3.16. That simply reminds us, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. And then in John 4, 1 John 4, verse 10, John writes and says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The cross is forever the message of God's redeeming love. Only God could so love us as to give his only son. 
And only the Son could love us so much that he would give himself for us. And then when we turn to the writing of Paul in in 1 Corinthians, we're reminded also of the cross. And, And the third fact, and that is, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. In fact, Paul says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Human logic says that the foolishness of the cross is what it really is. And it seemed as foolishness to the Jews that the supposed Messiah would allow himself to suffer and die at the hands of sinners. It seemed as foolishness to the Gentiles that God would exhibit such love for the likes of mortal human beings. But the message of the cross, though it seemed as foolishness to some, those who reject the deity of Christ and who refuse to acknowledge the need of humanity for a Savior and who trust in themselves and their own works for redemption, it's foolishness. It was foolishness to the soldiers and others who cast their insults at Jesus. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. If you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. Aren't you the Christ? Then save yourself and us. So for those who are perishing, the cross is foolishness. But here's the final word for today. And that is that the cross is God's final word about salvation. Yes, it's foolishness to those who are perishing who refuse to believe. But to us who are being saved, the Apostle Paul says, it is the power of God. See, the death of Jesus is the power of God not only to save us, but to keep us secure in our salvation It is the power of God to raise and to glorify those who believe in their sacrificed Lord Jesus Christ. And at the cross, we see that Jesus gave himself to save us. It's at the cross that we give up ourselves, that we might find ourselves in Jesus the Christ. I think this morning as we celebrate, we need to understand that the cross best proclaims the indisputable fact woven all the way through the pages of the Bible that we worship a God who loves us. And while it might not be recognized universally as it should, it is the most popular symbol and perhaps the symbol of our Christian faith. And there is no Christianity without the cross. There is no Easter without the cross. And the cross shouts to us the words of God's love for us. The words that say to us, it's his proclamation of possibility beyond the present. It's hope for the hopeless and it's love for the loveless and it's encouragement for the downtrodden and it's the pronouncement of life beyond death for those of us who believe. It is central to our faith. And the cross can never be overlooked. Because you see, at Calvary, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. And the blood of Christ that flowed freely down that cross is the blood that saves us from our sins. And is the only means of our salvation and the forgiveness of our sins and can allow us 
to be righteous in the sight of God and to have that relationship through faith that brings about salvation and eternal life. This is the cross of Easter. And this Palm Sunday we celebrate our salvation and God's redeeming love. And the invitation to you today is, as you believe in Jesus Christ and understand the message of the cross, and you've embraced him as your Savior, then you're invited to partake of the bread and the juice of the Lord's Supper and be reminded of the cross and the depth of God's love for you as you take of that bread and the juice.